Soccer Podcast. My name is Boril Demi, and I'm joined, as usual, by my co-host, Suleiman Lassisi, who, by the way, is enjoying himself right now in San Diego. Suleiman, how is San Diego? Well, it's a beautiful city. You know, it's November, it's sunny out here, and people are just soaking in the sunlight and enjoying the weather, so I'm happy I took a break from the cold. Yeah, it's pretty cold where we are in D.C., uh, so you are very lucky to leave and, and enjoy the sun out there. But uh, that said, I mean, I guess you also uh, took the best time to go to San Diego because it's Internationals Week, which means there are no club games. But that doesn't mean that there's not actions going on because currently we have so many, um, so many problems and issues going on right now in the media with players fighting and new teams winning. So uh, I'm very excited for for this episode to shed light on some of these news that we've heard in the past week. So let's start off with the Euros 2020 qualifiers. Uh, But before we do, I think something happened even from the Liverpool-Man City game. Um, And basically, there was a bust-up between Sterling and Gomez during that game. And uh, from the reports that we've heard in the media, it seemed like it spilled over to when the England team met up at camp. And uh, that led to Sterling uh, getting a one-match ban. Um, Suleiman, just based on what you've heard in the media, what do you think about this whole situation? Well, the question you asked me is based on what I have heard. Maybe you should have said based on what I have seen, because there are visible scars on Joe Gomez's face showing what transpired between him and Sterling. So based on that, I I wonder what got Sterling so riled up from the City Liverpool game to where this continued during the English qualifying preparations. So I really don't know what happened there, but it looked like Sterling did punch or attack Joe Gomez. And if that's what happened, then he's deserving of the temporary ban. I have to say, though, that he's back in the folds and either assisted or scored in the in the last game they played. So... I I would say, whatever it is, Sterling's back in English fold now. It just makes me actually wonder, because, you know, he used to play for Liverpool, and I, as much as he has com- contributed and committed to the Manchester City cause, I would actually say this is what makes me feel like he has won me over as someone who belongs at Manchester City. So, Sterling, um, I'm a fan of Sterling, and I, you know, it was sad to see that he got a one-match ban. But the only, the the thing, I don't know. The problem I see here is if you if you watched or if you saw the the initial bust up, I would say during the Liverpool matches, the game, it seemed like Gomez had pushed him, you know, in an unfriendly way, obviously. And then Stone was like, you know, probably said some bad words to him. And then there was like the, you know, they were staring at each other, each each other. Um, just based off that, and then with the, the you know the uh, situation at the camp, I'm just wondering why Sterling was the only one that got the the ban. I I would have thought Gomez would have also gotten the ban. 
Um, that's the only problem I have with this whole situation because why punish one person instead of the other? And I understand maybe Sterling went out of his way to kind of fight, you know, Gomez. But to be honest, there was a reason that why that is. And maybe, again, we don't know the true story. I, I don't believe the media has the full story, but the media said uh, people were making fun of him, including Joe Gomez. And Joe Gomez basically... Uh, kind of, you know, riled Sterling up and, and then, you know, Sterling went up to him and started fighting, you know, trying to hit him and stuff. But my, my, my thing here is I think personally a lot of people have praised the coach of England that, hey, he did a good job handling the situation. I think he didn't handle the situation because now there's kind of some kind of rift, I believe, maybe in the team uh, where maybe it's like Liverpool players versus like maybe city players and versus like maybe if the Tottenham players like the like city more than Liverpool then you suddenly may see like Tottenham players lean towards supporting Sterling so uh nonetheless it's it's a very messy situation um I just think a fair a fair solution would have been to ban both of them as a, instead of just Sterling I could see how that actually would help but, I mean, given the mark on his face, I think he already got his punishment. I'm talking about Joe Gomez. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. well, we'll, we'll, we'll never know the full story, I don't think. But, um, I, you know, let's, let's keep talking about England. England has done very well in this uh, qualifiers. Um, however, though, they've, so they've, picked, they've played as of um, today, Tuesday, November 19th. Um, they've played eight games and um, they have 21 points in total. Um, and they're top in their group, obviously, but they're playing, you know, they're, the rest of the group is like Kosovo, Bulgaria, Montenegro, like really small teams. Now, my question to you here is, do you think this, you know, we, you think of England, you, you think of all these stars that play in the EPL, you know, from the front line to the back line to the midfields to the keeper. Um, but I personally feel like England is not, maybe they're just not a well-organized team, or maybe they're just not... The coach is not getting the best out of them. But I feel like England is not a, a great team. I, I don't know how you feel about, you know, I mean, okay, if you really think about it, like in the World Cup, they had a very easy bracket after the, the knockout stage. Um, and that's how they got to the semifinal. But they got beat by, by Croatia. And now you have the Euro qualifiers where they are, you know, they're top of the table. But, I mean, they're expected to be, expected to be top of the table. But it just... I just feel like this England team is not is not a, a very good team. That is interesting. I personally feel like since the World Cup in 2002, this is the best squad. When I say squad, I mean group of players that England has had at, at a single time. So personally, when we talk of individual talent, I think this is the best group we've seen in a while. Now, do I trust the coach enough to deliver the best out of this group of players? I'm not quite sure. I feel like the coach, as much as he's committed, just uh, you can tell that he's committed. I don't think he's tactically good enough to be able to get the best out of this group. And only a major competition like Euro 2020 will tell us that. But I just, when you, when you look at the players, I mean, as a forward, Harry Kane is one of the best out there today. You have Raheem Sterling, you have Marcus Rashford. So they're solid in that department. And in midfield, England has always had a lot of good midfielders. I would say good selectively because they haven't had many extraordinary 
or like world beating world class midfielders, but they've had a surplus of good midfielders. So it will be a matter of getting the best out of that midfield unit to be able to get results in a major tournament. So with that being said, are they good enough on paper? Yes. Are they good enough to beat other teams when it actually comes to a major competition? The jury is going to be out on that. Yes. So I think Gareth Southgate, as you said, is not the. I don't. I personally don't think is the right coach. Um. I maybe he's a good man, or or, or is a good man manager. So he can manage the players, but in terms of tactics, and just you know instilling fire into the players, I don't know if he's, if he's the right coach. Um. But something just seems off about this England team. Yes, they have great individual players you know like you said maybe since the 2002 world cup uh seem to have uh, better players now um but i still don't think as a team they're that good and i i wonder if some of it is has to do with like the rivalry and and maybe them not trying to want you know wanting to play together but who knows I, i'm just making stuff up uh, right now but like i don't know it just it just feels off but i will say this though um the official uh you know, bookies, people that do the betting and, and the online betting for, for sports have them as one of the favorites to win, which I find fascinating because I don't know how they're going to win when you have the likes of France and Netherlands um, and, and and Germany in, in the competition. But um, that is just my sentiment about England. But let's, let's talk about another team that has not been doing well for the past, I would say, maybe the last time they did very well was 2006. Um, and that's Italy. Um, Italy has been up and down, and um, mostly down for the past few years. And um, surprise, surprise, they are the only team that won all their group stage games. Um, so they got maximum full points. Um, again, obviously, like you know, their group is not like the the craziest. It's not the toughest, but you know, it's they have like Bosnia and Herzegovina. They have Greece, Finland, Armenia. Um, that said, like I'm not trying to discount them, but ten wins out of ten is surely very impressive. I agree with you. And when it comes to Italy, like you said, their recent malaise has actually shown that they can find ways to lose to these teams. In the recent years, they've done that. So the fact that they actually won all of these games, it is progress. It is very remarkable improvement from the performances they've had in recent years. So the question now, or the thought now that comes to mind is, are they back to their best? And, you know, they have Roberto Mancini as coach, and they have a pretty young squad. Again, I actually, this is the opposite of what I just said about England. When you, you look at the individuals, I don't see any player that stands out. But as a unit, I think they have a good coach that can actually make this team go deep when it comes to competitions well yeah well comparing them to england man for man uh may not i guess it depends on the position i think the midfield they probably have a better midfield like with Jorginho and sensi but uh when it comes to the attack i, I would say england has a better attack and and their defense is okay also but 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 I, I agree with you, but uh, they definitely play as a team, and Mancini is doing a very great job, as you can see. Um, 10 wins out of 10 is very phenomenal. But again, that said, they've only played weak teams lately, and I don't 
I don't rank them high as somebody that you know a team that that could win the Euros. Um, but um, again, remarkable stuff from them. I'm not gonna discount them from that. Um, the team that though that has looked good in the past recently, you know, they won the World Cup is France. But uh, during the qualifiers, yes, they've been winning games, but they've looked off the pace. And uh, what I mean by that is small teams that they should be beaten 7-0 and 5-0. They're only beating 2-1 and, and, and 3-1 and 1-0. Um, and it feels like maybe Deschamps is doing some kind of experiment, you know, maybe trying to move Griezmann into the number 10 role and have make him have a free role. I understand that Pogba is not has not been around for a few months now, so maybe that's part of the reason why. And Kante has been, you know, injured. Um, but still, it's still something that you don't, you shouldn't be seen from a, from the champion of the world, basically. Like, uh, you know, they won the World Cup last year, and it's not even, it's just been over a year, and and but you don't see them have that killer plays. You know, like they don't, they don't really close out a game. It's like they're struggling until the end. Um, what do you think about France? Are they? Do you think they have? They're still hungover from from the World Cup. Possibly, yeah. Hungover actually is the right word. I wasn't thinking of that. What I was thinking of is the champions curse. I think maybe they just are, are just going through a terrible patch because if you remember very vividly that like I do, in 2002, they had just won the World Cup, the previous edition, and they were playing Senegal in the first game. And they lost to Senegal and just had a horrible 2002 World Cup and it took them a couple of years to even get back to remarkable or recognizable heights. So with that being said, I think this might just be one of those periods where they think they're doing every, everything right, but it just wouldn't go their way. So I wouldn't be surprised if they continue to struggle. That being said, though, do I trust the coach? 100% I do. I think he's a very, I wouldn't actually say he's the best man manager, but he gets the unit together and he gets what he needs to get out of the team to let them play. So maybe in his mind, it's just a matter of if it's not broke, don't fix it. But it's looking, as the days go by, it's starting to look like something might be broken. Portugal, um, remember we had this situation, uh, we had this talk last last week in our episode about Ronaldo getting subbed off. Turns out he was able to play against Liechtenstein and Luxembourg and score four goals in two games. Um, so, do you think he was injured, or what do you think? Or do you think maybe a half Ronaldo, or a, an injured Ronaldo, is enough for small teams like Liechtenstein and Luxembourg? Well, I definitely don't think he was seriously injured. If he's injured, he wouldn't be playing against Liechtenstein and Luxembourg. So I think it's it's more tactical. The coach feels like, I mean, it was subbed off against AC Milan when the scores was tied, if I'm correct. Yes. So the coach felt like he needed to change his approach to the game and he took him out and bringing someone else in who was instrumental to the victory. I don't think this had to do with injury all along. This was just a tactical change that yielded the, de yielded the desired result. Well, it's just weird that the Juve, Juve doctors and Sari himself said, yes, there's an injury and that's why he's been taken off. And then he goes on to Portugal and, and, and goes to the camp of Portugal and uh, the player 
one uh, one of the players, I can't remember his name, and, and the coach said, oh, Ronaldo looks fine. I mean, looks fine doesn't mean like he's he's not injured, but he looks fine. Um, but it's just it's just weird. Uh, we we don't know the truth. Um, the the truth is out there somewhere, so we may never know. But is again just just wanted to point out that Ronaldo is scoring against uh, is able to score four goals against these teams. Um, and on a happy note, Finland has finally qualified for their first major tournament um, on the senior level. They've qualified for the under twenty. Uh, Euros before, but on on the on the senior level, they've qualified for the first major tournament, and this just I don't know if this reminds you of anything, but it reminds me of the time Iceland qualified for the World Cup. So I wonder if Finland will have a similar run as Iceland did um, when they broke through in the last Euros, also, um, and who else? was there to help them out. Um, 10 goals out of 10 games. Phenomenal Timu Puki um, just doing it for Finland. How do you feel about Finland? Well, it would be nice, like you say, it would be nice to see Finland come out the gates at Euro 2020 and make a push deep into the tournament. However, expecting that will be discounting the Herculean task that Iceland had to overcome to make it that far in the tournament. So them making it this far is worth celebrating, worth remembering for a long time to come. And it would just be nice to see how well they can go. And of course, they have Timu Puki, who you know, as we've seen in the Premier League, is capable of scoring goals against big teams, Liverpool's and the others. So it would be interesting to watch how he features for his team and how well he can carry the weight of this country on his shoulders. All right, quickly. Um, so Netherlands and Germany qualified. Remember, Netherlands and Germany were in the same group. Um, Northern Ireland are um, third in that group and looks like they are going to be going on to the playoffs. Uh, so right now we have 20 teams qualified for the Euro 2020 and we have four more spots to be filled. And those four spots are filled through a playoff. Suleiman, the AFCON um, qualifiers uh, again happened this this past week and also today and i think some games will be tomorrow um but i just wanted to note a team and obviously i'm going to be biased here um i'm talking about nigeria but specifically i want to talk about a player that's been doing very well this season and i'm not trying to um you know hype him up you know i know it's it's just november uh but i remember we've talked about him in the podcast especially in the beginning of the season i'm talking about None other than Victor Osimhen. Um, he's currently um, ha- at seven goals in Ligue 1 and currently uh, has played nine games for Nigeria and has scored four goals. Um, this past weekend on Sunday, he scored two goals against Lesotho. Um, and the uh, reason why I'm bringing this up is we had the situation when Tammy Abraham, um, who was eligible to play for Nigeria, also... Had the choice, you know, he had the choice to choose either between Nigeria or England, but went for England. And then the Nigerian Twitter basically blew up, and the 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 idea there was that people were starting to compare Osimhen with um, Tammy Abraham. Now, I'm going to ask you this question, and I think I feel like I know your answer. Um, just based off Osimhen and Tammy Abraham, who do you think, or who would you pick in your team? If you had to pick a team, oh, and you have to pick a striker for that team. 
I, well, that's a good question you asked me, and I am going to be very fair and say I haven't really watched a lot of Victor Osimhen, so I am not going to be doing justice to this question by saying, who would I pick? But I will tell you this, based on not seeing Victor Osimhen and just going off of the fact that he plays in League On, which is a less competitive league sure. compared to the Premier League. And Tammy Abraham doesn't play for Aston Villa anymore. He doesn't play for Swansea City anymore. Tammy Abraham plays for Chelsea, and he's not warming the bench at Chelsea. He is one of the first people on the, score, on the team list at Chelsea. I will go with Tammy Abraham, guaranteed. Interesting. That's a very interesting way to look at it. Um, again, I don't know if it's my bias talking, but I think they're both fine players. Uh, Osiman seems like I think it's probably more technical than than Tammy Abraham. Um, but I do think Tammy Abraham knows where, how to be in the right place at the right time, which I think that's the edge that Abraham brings over Osiman. But I'm personally excited to see Osiman. And I think, um, remember, um, Odion Igalo, who was our center forward and our number nine, you know, the target man, um, retired. And now we now have a 20-year-old um, Osiman uh, basically filling his shoes. And, and I think he's doing very well. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens, but you do bring up a good point that he plays in a in a weaker weaker league than the EPL, and you never know he may just move clubs and and join the EPL, but that will that is left to be seen. So I would say this real quickly, and this is coming from the fact that Nicolas Pepe actually made the switch that you would be hoping that Victor Simen makes, and. His transition has not been as smooth as people expected. So that is an example. Of course, Eden Hazard made the same switch, and it was a fantastic transition. So I'm not going to just cherry pick and say, look at what happened to Pepe. But I, I just want to say that it is not easy to be a young forward in the Premier League and to be delivering. Sure. Um, but would you not blame Pepe's uh, unfortunate uh, form to Arsenal? Part of it will be blamed to Arsenal and part of it actually I would not be I would not blame Pepper's returns and productivity to Arsenal. I take that back. I will not blame Pepper's lack of good productive numbers to Arsenal when I have seen him squander chances against Liverpool, against Tottenham Hotspur, and I wondered how they signed this guy for so much money. So no Pepper's Lack of productivity is on Pepe and not on Arsenal. So, moving on to CONCACAF. The US of A. America beats Canada. 4-1. Can you believe that, Bori? America beats Canada. Big deal, right? No, not a big deal. Remember, Canada beat them at home, uh, you know, in the, in the first leg. Um, I'm just surprised. I think you mentioned a stat that should that you should probably inform our listeners. What is that interesting stat? Oh, well, in this massive victory that America recorded over Canada, it also happened that Canada had 64% possession over almighty America. Of course, possession doesn't translate to goals, but if Canada can hold you to 64% to 30%, 36% possession, what does that say of your ball playing abilities against better teams? Well, 
I didn't watch the game, and I would just say it shows that um, Pulisic did not play. That's 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 for one because it's ridiculous how they can only have thirty six percent against a team like Canada. That is actually very worrying for the United States if they cannot hold more of the ball against a team like Canada. Well, what we celebrate here in the USA is we celebrate goals, we celebrate scores. The coach can worry about getting the best possession out of his team, but we are all on the street celebrating the fact that we scored four goals against our northern neighbors. Well, they they better hope they don't have that same possession against bigger teams like Brazil or, or France or, or Argentina because they will they will definitely the scoreline will be different. I agree with you. And that was what the scoreline was when Mexico played Panama. Mexico beat Panama 3-0. But trust the Mexicans to have a better possession than the Americans did. So Mexico beat Panama 3-0. And guess who got a brace from this matchup? I hate to say it, but it's Rahul Jimenez. Rahul Jimenez. You know, he can't stop scoring. And I say this because I... You think of forwards, and actually you think of Mexican forwards. Two come to my mind. You have Peralta, and you also have Chicharito. Chicharito, I considered what you would call a classy white-collar forward, for the lack of the right term. He just pops up in the right place and gets these goals. But Rahul Jimenez, to me, comes across as someone who fights tooth and nail to get goals. Like, he does everything possible by any means necessary to get these goals for his teams. And to me, I just find it incredible that he keeps getting in positions and places to keep scoring for club and country. Yeah, uh, let me be clear. I, it's not like I don't dislike Rahul Menez. I'm just bitter that I had him on my fantasy team in the beginning and he didn't do very well. But I'm happy to see that he's doing very well and I wish him the best of luck. Let's talk about friendlies. And the reason why we're talking about friendlies, I don't think we usually will be talking about friendlies in this podcast, but uh, there were were two notable friendlies that Argentina played. And I have to say, I have to give Foyth credit. Foyth played against Brazil. You know, so Argentina played Brazil and Foyth did not concede a goal. It's incredible that that happened. Um, I... you know, like, you know my deal with Foyth. I, I absolutely don't believe that he's a real player. But to be honest, the real headline here was Messi actually winning an international trophy. And this trophy, uh, or basically this um, this game between Argentina and Brazil is called the Super Classic of the Americas Cup. Uh, I think it was formerly called the Roca Cup. Uh, it's basically, you know, top teams from, the two top teams from from you know from south america playing against each other and basically just playing for money and then they get a a trophy at the end um but there was one goal in that game and it came from the goat in himself should i say um lionel messi um it's also worth noting that jesus missed a penalty in that game now Suleiman. Um, you remember the you know when people argue about you know Messi versus Ronaldo, people always bring up the fact that Messi does not have an international trophy. Would you count this as an international trophy that Messi has won? 
No, I will not count this as an international trophy that Messi has won. But Messi has international trophies. Messi has the Olympics. Messi has the Under-20 World Cup. What they say is he doesn't have a senior trophy. Yes, that's, that's, and that's I, what I meant. Yeah. Yes, and I, to be honest, I think Messi is a great player. He's a phenomenal player. And he has done more than his fair share for Argentina. If he doesn't have a senior level trophy, soccer is a team sport. 11 people. It's, it just it can't do it alone. Maybe someone should tap Gonzalo Higuain. He, stand, he sits right next to Ronaldo <laughs> at Juventus and ask him, why doesn't Argentina have a World Cup trophy? You know. So I, I think I wouldn't count this as a trophy really, but I think Messi has done... I mean, he's literally carried this team on his shoulders on numerous occasions. Yeah, I mean, it's, you bring a fair point. <clears throat> <clears throat> Sorry. Yeah, you bring up a fair point. Um, Higuain is doing very well at Juve, and you know, you would you would hope that he would do the same. However, though, uh, Argentina played Uruguay today, and Messi also scored and assisted the goal. And Kun Aguero actually showed up for once for Argentina. Um, he scored. Uh, one of the goals in that game, um, w- which ended up 2-2. And obviously, Suarez also was playing. So, you know, Messi and Suarez were, you know, on, on different teams. But it's very interesting to see that um, Higuain, you know, you know, wasn't playing, obviously. Um, but Aguero finally showed up. And, and one thing I wanted to note is a lot of people, especially before the World Cup uh, 2018, were, you know, mentioning the fact that, like, you know, Messi cannot cannot play with Dybala and Aguero on the same team because, you know, they're going to clash and positions are going to clash. But uh, surprisingly enough, uh, this was the formation that Scaloni played and he played uh, Messi, Dybala and, and Aguero. So um, maybe this, maybe Argentina is finally waking up because it seems like they're more organized. If you look at them, they're not play. they're not, they don't have, they don't look confused on the field. They're able to play very well. So I give kudos to to, to Messi, you know, for for basically talking sense to the FA because remember after the uh, Copa America there was a shakeup, you know, there was a shakeup in the Argentina FA and um, maybe I, I think a lot of it has to do with Messi because remember Messi sponsors uh, the Argentina FA, so, well part of the Argentina FA, um, but. Hey, kudos to Argentina for being able to at least win against uh, teams like Brazil and, and tie against Uruguay. So I'm going to say a few things on this topic of Argentina, and you can t- thank me later. But the first thing I want to say is you mentioned Aguero, Dybala, and Messi playing together. Where did Lotaro Martinez play, or did he not play? He did He did come in for Dybala uh, later on in the game. But, um, yes, he came in for Dybala uh, in the end. But I, I'm just talking about the fact that like Dybala, Messi, and Aguero actually started the game and I, I mean, I, I, I'm bad at reading games, but I think they gelled well, and I think they didn't run into each other, which a lot of people seem to think that that would happen if they all play together. Uh, but uh, it's definitely possible that they all three can play together. Okay, I get your point. And also, while we're on this Argentina topic, do you remember the name Carlos Martinez Tevez? Yes, I believe he's still playing in um, in Argentina right now, actually. For yes, so one of the teams, yeah. Boca Juniors, most likely. So there is a there is a a show on Netflix called Fuerte Apache, 
which details the lives of Carlos Tevez. And I just want to make this plug. If you have not seen it, Bori or any of our listeners out there, please go watch this show, Forte Apache Events, telling the stories of the life of Carlos Tevez. It's a really good show, and it makes me even appreciate the human being, the soccer player that Carlos Tevez was. Yes, definitely a beast. Uh, Suleiman, I just wanted to uh, end it here. And before we do, actually, let's talk about this weekend. Obviously, the EPL is back this weekend, and there is a very great game coming up, and it's uh, between Manchester City and Chelsea. And um, tell me your your what your gut tells you what is going to happen in this game manchester city versus chelsea two teams that i actually do like at the moment one i feel sympathy for manchester city and one i just love what the coach is doing with in chelsea but this make no mistake Barry, this is going to be frank lampard's definition as a coach this is going to be the game where i'm going to say you know, Frank Lampard is the real deal. Oh, wait, I'm going to say, you know what? Frank Lampard just had a, a lucky run of games where he accrued 15 points, winning five out of five games because Manchester City is going to come firing out on all cylinders when they play against Chelsea because they've dropped so many points to be able to catch up with Liverpool. And now they feel like they a lot of calls went wrong against them. So they're not going to leave this up to the referees or anything. They are going to execute to perfection. You're going to see Raheem Sterling hugging the lines until the ball is played in when he actually goes into the box. So this is going to be a game where I feel like if Lampard does get a point out of this game, I would respect him as a coach. Sounds good. Uh, I also, well, I don't know if, I don't think Chelsea has a chance. I think this is where experience will kick in. And remember when I talked about how Chelsea, you know, they, they, the lack of experience sometimes may kick in. I think this is when it will kick in and, and Masset is going to basically, basically beat them is, is what I'm trying to say. But um, I think that's all we have today. Uh, Thank you, our listeners, for listening to the fourth official soccer podcast. Sulaiman, can you tell them where to find us? Sure, we are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. We also are on Twitter at fourth official SP, and you can email us anytime at fourth official soccer podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and we will catch you next week. All right, bye bye. Thank you.